This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 54. Quote from Neil Gaiman, the only fiction writer these days that holds my attention. Quote, Google can bring you back 100,000 answers. A librarian can bring you back the right one. Well said, sir. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show this week. I am really excited about this conversation today. Today, I'm interviewing Mr. John Kirsch. John is a good friend of mine that I've known for several years now. We had the luck of running into each other at a New Year's party that my wife used to organize back before she, you know, wasted the rest of her life by meeting and marrying me. She used to host a a New Year's party in college and then threw into her 20s after college. uh, And it ran for quite some time until I, you know, messed everything up. Anyway, John is, follow me through this, John is the husband of one of my wife's best friends from college. And both he and his wife, Bree, are both librarians. And if you couldn't tell the hint in my little intro at the beginning here, John is a librarian down in South Carolina. And one of the interesting things that we talk about, I think, during this conversation is not necessarily just about books and libraries and the state of digital books and how that's affecting libraries, but we also get into a little bit of the politics going on at the college level these days, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, and that's always a fun conversation to listen in on these days. I really enjoyed this conversation with John. I don't want to detail all of it right here because he and I just always have a really great conversation when we talk. He and I, when we first met, we were pretty far apart on almost every political issue. But the unique thing about John that I noticed early on was he's one of those rare birds like myself that can actually have a polar opposite view on a political topic while not, you know, thinking that the person in front of me is probably going to cook my children for dinner tonight. So we had a really great conversation, even though we disagreed about a lot. And he and I have sort of maintained our relationship based on that premise. So I love chatting with him about current events. It's always a fun conversation. And I hope you guys get a little bit of a taste of that during this show. Thanks again for listening to the show. Without going too much more into it, without further ado, I bring you Mr. John Kirsch. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Um, The audience heard a quick snippet of how you and I know each other through our delightful wives during during the uh, intro to the show and also a little bit about your professional background but obviously you know you you're you're new to the audience of the show so I wanted to give you a, a, an idea I wanted to give you a shot to kind of give them an idea about your background that you obviously know more than I do so why don't you just go ahead and tell them a little bit about yourself and we'll just sort of go from there 
Sure. Um, giving you the kind of the Cliff Notes version, the whirlwind version, I basically thought I would be a lawyer. I always loved arguing with people. And I found out, though, that that wasn't for me because I felt like it was totally always a negative you know, conflict-based thing, always adversarial. So I switched from being a lawyer to a uh, to a librarian, okay. and so now I get to teach kids and I get to you know help com- do some community-based things, and and it's just for me a lot more rewarding. But at the same time, I do think it's important, and I think our sh- today we're going to get to that topic. I think it's important to have violent disagreements and be able to work at that productively. And, Figure and, that out, yeah. And now, especially right now in, in 2018, you know, campuses throughout the country, you know, this basic thing we call free speech, they're they're having difficulty with that. And and as someone who's kind of a new uh, new new as a as an academic librarian, I, I see that, and it's important. And are, are honestly, a lot of our students aren't ready for the real world yet. Um, and so that's kind of one of the things that interests me. And I I think our you know students are really intelligent today, but it's that potential that that I think that. Can, can be missing. Mm-hmm. So now you mentioned that you were new to the academic side of the librarian work. What mm-hmm. were, um, how, how new to the academic side are you? So I started back in August. I started working at uh, what was originally a junior college that's now a two year college uh, called Spartanburg Methodist College, and they're actually gonna, going to become a four year college. Okay. Um, but I started that job and actually. Um, I always, when I was, even when I was back getting my degree to become a librarian, I, in, I interned at a university. So I knew I kind of always wanted to end up at a university, um, partly because I always thought universities were a place where you would challenge ideas and be challenged and, uh, you know, places where they would do research that mattered. And it seems like that's oh, the ideal. And, uh, you know, it's not quite so perfect, but it's, you know, I, I'm, I, I still love where I work and I, I actually, I, you know, I, I'm loving it more every day, but I'm also seeing the challenges that are serious. Sure. So, what what are some of the challenges that you're seeing in your in your neck of the woods? I guess. Well, like one of the challenges I see is, you know, we have students that really, um, and this is kind of a base level. I think this can be said about probably um, any generation, like millennials that are coming of age or younger millennials and beyond, sure. is they're not ready for the real world. Um, and, and an example of that, like. We have, um, you know, we have people, student, work-study students at, on campus, and some of those work-study students, they don't treat their position like an actual job, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it's important to do that. We, I was just talking to a student the other day who thought it was okay to come 22 minutes late to their job, <laughs> you know, and, and in the real world. You know, you can get away with that maybe on a college campus if your supervisor will let you, yeah. but not in the real world. Not in so, a job, no. Not in any job, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, we had another student who, very nice person, but would come and distract and try to chat with our students who were trying to get work done during their work-study hours. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, if, if, if your friend worked at BMW, if your friend even worked at Bilo, could you walk up and, and monopolize their time for an hour and talk to them? <laughs> so part of it is just a, a basic level of, like, you know, be serious, you know, be, uh, you know, have a work ethic, you sure. know? And in, in, in an effort, because, and I, I will, I will whack, um, you know, I'll whack millennials over the head as, as good as the next guy, but in, mm-hmm. in to their credit, to their credit in, in this particular scenario, you did mention yeah. about how they're not necessarily ready for the real world to, to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're coming in in 17, 18 years old. No one is ready for the real world at 17 oh, and, or 18 years old. Fully you know, agreed. And, and I, the, I'm actually a younger millennial too. So I or an older millennial too. So yeah, I'm in too, that group. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and I, I don't, what is, what is the official technical cutoff? Like I, I see it, it changes from website to website that you look at, you know, cause like I was born in 1980. Yeah. It's like I was born Ooh. in 1980, which some sources that you look at calls me Gen X, like the dead, dead end of Gen X. Other websites that you look at says that millennials started in 1980 because technically they became professional, like they hit you know 20 years old at the at the time of the the millennium. So kind of sort of technically, like we were entering the workforce in right at the millennium. So I'm called a millennial, but I don't know. Actually, if I, I don't you know are if literally you are exactly on that border. I I feel your pain because 1980, you can't get. I mean. You're in no man's land, basically, yeah. because it's like half of the sources, like you said, it's like 1980 and the other half, they'll do it a little later, like 82, 83, 84. Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm publishing a, a chapter in a book where we're talking about generational stuff. Mm -hmm. And one thing, they, they, there's a term called the Oregon Trail generation. And that's sort of like the, the kids born the in the game. 80s. Yes, the game. Did you ever play that? Oh my God. I play, I obsessed on that on my Apple IIe for... <laughs> I Christ! I can't tell you how much time I wasted playing Oregon Trail. God, I love that game. I, it's like, I, anyway, yeah, I mean I'm that sorry. is like that's like the sub generation within millennials. So like, if you were in from like eighty to eighty nine, that's kind of you know we're oh, like we're kind of like the forgotten sub generation that got lost in the millennials. That's so, so. funny. Yeah, because I I would say yeah. we're 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 the section of the millennial generation that lived in a world without the internet. Or that remembered the like that wonderful noise that we had to listen to every time we tried to sign online and spend 45 minutes for our text only forum page that we were going to to come up on screen. 25 yep. minutes with 25 minutes into which your mother would accidentally pick up the phone downstairs and throw you offline. And that would cause a two hour fight. And yeah, it just, I, I like yeah. I, some millennials that I know don't remember these things cause they were, you know, two at the time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the, uh, yeah. So we're, we are that forgotten generation and it's funny now because, you know, I, you know, you have to be careful what you assume. Like some people were born, you know, to the point where they don't remember 9-11 even, you know, if you I were. Oh, yeah. And that makes, I, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel old. But yes, <laughs> the the thing that I have to I have to admit, the thing that made me feel old the first time in my life was I was helping. I graduated high school in 1999. Right. One of my best friends in high school was a buddy of mine named Ray and Ray joined the army. And at one point during one of his transitions, back from overseas to a base here in Maryland was I was helping him move and he was moving from, you know, where he, where he came in down in near Virginia beach. He came into Norfolk when he came in there going up to the base where he was being stationed in Northern Maryland. I was helping hmm. him. I was helping him move and he was married to a delightful girl named Chris who had a 12 year old at the time, 12 year old daughter from a previous marriage. <sighs> Okay, so keep in mind, graduate, you know, going to high school in 95 to 99, the, you know, we, 
um, Ray and I were sitting around during one of our breaks from, you know, carrying couches and boxes and whatever, sitting there just kind of reminiscing about our high school years, talking about the cars that we drove and the music that we listened to and the sound systems we installed in our cars and all the boxes of CDs and, you know, cassettes and whatever that we, you know, toted around with us while we were driving around. And the the da- the daughter, the 12-year-old whose name is escaping me right now, was just she was a very she was a very nice respectful young girl so she wasn't like interrupting it was just you know two adults are chatting but she yeah. was kind of sitting off I think her name was Sarah she was sitting off to the side I'll I'll call her Sarah maybe I'm wrong but anyway um Sarah was just kind of sitting off to the side with us and was just kind of looking at us kind of confused and now this had to have been maybe 2004 2005 maybe somewhere somewhere thereabout so being trying to be relatively respectful, I asked her the question. He's like, hey, Sarah, what's you know, what's up? And she looked at me not with mockery, not with, oh, my God, huh. you know, who is this stupid person that's huh. in front of me? She was looking at me with legitimate curiosity, which, you know, you're a librarian. You know what that look looks like. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And she looked at me with and very meekly asked, what's a cassette tape? Oh, I yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, I was like, uh, like I couldn't believe it. Like, it's like, where do you begin? You yeah, know? exactly. Where do you begin? Like, well, like, and I, it's like, and who, and what the hell am I going to say to her? I don't understand the physics of cassette tapes. Like, I don't know how. It's like, I don't know how they work. It's like, it's a magnet that plays. It's like, it's a magnet that plays music, but it's not a normal magnet that you're used to. It's a flexible one. But wait a minute, that doesn't. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, it's like, it's like a record, but newer, but it's magnetic. I don't understand. You know, I was like, what, what, where do you go? I don't know. Yeah. And, 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 and it, you know, it just gets to that point where, you know, especially like as that technology kind of gets phased out, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. There's that disconnect or, or that, that rift between the people that have like totally forget that. Right. And the people who remember it. Um, One of the students I work with, she, she told me a story. She said the most she was ever embarrassed in her classroom Uh was one day Everyone was told to bring something to to download a file onto. Oh God! Everyone else in the entire class brought a thumb drive, a thumb drive. or a jump drive, right? Yeah. Which we all know what those are. Mm-hmm. Her mother insisted that she bring a oh floppy disk. Her mother did not understand the concept that oh this floppy. So she was she, here. She is sitting in class, and the teacher's <laughs> like, um, uh, "Janelle, um, yeah, that's not going to work." sweetheart so you know there's you know it's just you know uh, some people it's you know it's hard to make that leap into the next i don't know technology for some yeah like it's so funny like i and i i'll sometimes i'll i'll play i'll play and use it to my advantage in a way in in that technology in music and computing is advancing so quickly that Mm -hmm. if i it's i finally feel empowered Kind of like the guy who's like the two guys in class that speak Arabic or Chinese or Spanish and no one else in the room does. And they talk to each other in a secret language that nobody else understands. Like, I, you know, I'll sit around talking about cassette, like, I sit around talking about cassette tapes and 386 and 486, you know, Intel processors around younger generations. And they look at me like, what the hell did he just say? What did he like? They don't know what I'm saying. They legitimately don't know what it's like. Three eighty, like that's the three numbers in a phone number that I ha, that I have on my phone somewhere. Like they have no earthly goddamn idea what I'm talking about. It's like you talk the you talk computers. What did I hear? 
It's like talking about how th- how fast things are moving, and this applies nicely to how to what we're talking about today. In that th- th- things are moving so fast that our brains can't even really keep up. Like if you mm. if you look, it's two thousand. We're recording this in in the very beginning of February two thousand eighteen. You know, a few months back, Apple released you know the iPhone ten, you know, which is the tenth anniversary. Yeah. So in just just 10 years ago, they released the first iPhone. The processing power of the first mass-produced iPhone in 2007 had equal processing com, had equal computing power as the Cray supercomputer from back in the mid to 1980s that cost 10 to 15 million dollars to purchase and use for your business. And now Ten years after that, you if you go back and look at the first generation iPhone, you said yeah. if you if you held it in your hand and you looked at it, you're like, dude, this thing's like made out of wood. It's like, like, <laughs> it might as it might as well be made out of wood. Like it, it's, it's a it's a useless piece of equipment right now, and yeah. it and it was the equivalent to a ten to fifteen million dollar piece of equipment from just twenty years before that. It's amazing how fast this stuff is going. Well, and, and that's really though, but see, that's what's contributed to, I think, that issue we're going to talk about, which is with the technology advancing so much and social media being part of that. Yeah. And now you can express yourself so frequently and to such a huge audience faster than ever before. Yeah. And so now we have a problem where, you know, when you have differences of, of opinion, they go global within seconds or minutes. And you can't take it back. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that I think that's one reason one reason I think we're seeing what we would call like a more, I guess, partisan or divided, you know, country, world, whatever you want to call it, is because of that. Because you can, you know, because it's hard to take things back, because you you know, basically but our brains haven't really caught up with that concept either. That's the problem. People still post something on social media as if it's a local just something like on their local bulletin board, which <laughs> yeah. it isn't. It's not. And, yeah. You know, it's like the student who applies, you know, for a, at a to university, uh, put, sends in their application, and then has on their Facebook page them drinking at a party, you know, or doing drugs at a party. That's and guess there's what? a disconnect. There's and there goes the job offer. There goes the offer for college. There goes the you know, it's like the what it, whatever it might be. It's like that's people we've we've lost track of how. We used to be able to keep things secret. And this isn't me just knocking social media. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm a little bit of a pessimist when it comes to social media and the fact, Mm. you know, some of the some of the damage that it has caused in our culture. I am fully Mm. on board with that. But I also I can also see the benefits and the power in it. I'm not just necessarily one side or the other. Yeah. Um, But that's the one thing for for people that have come up where social media has been the gold standard of communication for the lion's share of their lives. Like I'm again, not necessarily picking on millennials, but pointing out millennials as an example, you forgot that sometimes like you and me, John, like you, you, you and I can be having a conversation about the validity of Marxism or, you know, the, like the nanny state or whatever political issue you choose to pick with its divisive name. Yeah. And, we could we could express our opinions in favor or opposed to these things and then just kind of it goes away and then our conversation just sort of vanishes into the ether because you and I were the only ones involved in it but right. 
if I go on Facebook and if I go on Facebook right now with my however many, you know, Facebook friends and say, you know what? I think welfare is bullshit. <laughs> that, that or whatever, whatever you choose to say, like whatever massively opinionated, you know, thing that you choose to put out there. How often in the past before social media has someone like if you and I were going to have that conversation about like Marxism or, you know, capitalism or the validity of Atlas Shrugged or whatever it might be. I would yeah. sit down with you at a party and talk about it. I wouldn't go to the mall, stand up at the top of the escalator and scream my opinion <laughs> to everybody in the room. People would think that you're nuts. They'd lock, they'd lock you up if you did that. But we, we do that now every single day and people think it's normal. It's like, wait mm. a second. How many of your personal opinions do you legitimately share with these 1500 people that you just decided to spout off to. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a different, it's a different means of communication and we're not used to it because mm -hmm. we're in, a, we're talking about communicating, intentionally communicating with groups that are way larger than what we're used to communicating with as higher primates. Like we're, we're used to small, small troops of close friends and close family and now it's like, oh, yeah, I saw this guy at a conference three years ago or this guy graduate. Like, we'll get a Facebook request randomly from some guy that went to my high school 10 yeah. years after I graduated. It was like, right. I, I have no earthly goddamn <laughs> idea who you are. But I guess we're I guess we went to the same high school. So, you know, go Friars. Haha. And then, we, you, <laughs> you, you know, you click accept and then you say something that you've been spouting, you know, for the last six months, you know, the next day. And then all of a sudden, this stranger that you've never met, who doesn't know a damn thing about you, is writing back is like, oh, my God, you're a murderer. Right, right, right. I'm like, Hi, well, I'm actually Jason. Nice to meet you. <laughs> And that's the problem is you, you don't have like an actual social relationship with, with some of these people. And yeah. yet you're talking about like these deep, you know, kind of, you know, tumultuous issues. And, yeah. and so where, yeah, how do you navigate that? Yeah. Um, so, and, and that kind of gets, you know, back to, to, you know, being on a college campus, yeah. at least on a college campus in theory, you know, the students kind of are getting to know each other. Mm -hmm. um, but even that's going to be changing as distance education takes over. Yeah. So then you're going to have fewer students who meet, who are exposed maybe physically to different ideas, yeah. at least, you know, so that's another, you know, issue. Yeah. yeah. Now um, it, it is, it's tough. I mean, the, the, the coming, coming into, coming into the academic world as you have, like, I'm curious to see, like, as what has been, have you had communications with people at the more four, like the four year institutions that, mm -hmm. or do you, is there an association that you're part of or a network of schools that you're part of where you do get to interact with people that are in, that are in established four year universities now that do deal with this issue on a regular basis? We, we do in, in a sense because we, we're part of different consortia. Like, for example, uh, we share resources like without through with other colleges throughout the state. Mm -hmm. So, like, a student of ours can go somewhere else and check out books or whatever, do whatever they need to do and vice versa. Got it. Um, and also, we also, um, you know, we do face some of the same issues. Like, for instance, um, a lot of universities, retention is a big thing, you know, not losing students. And so that's become an issue like – you know, we have a, kind of an office for, you know, basically where we have someone kind of dedicated to 
whose only job is really to catch those students before they fall through the cracks. Got it. Um, but, but one thing I think that one thing I see just even at, at the library where I work is, you know, sometimes I'll see a debate, you know, students arguing in politics and it just is, it's so divisive and, and, you know, especially, you know, obviously since the election of, of our current president. Um, but one thing I think that <laughs> he who shall not be named he, apparently. Well, I, I can, I can name him. I don't mind. <laughs> I understand. Go ahead. Um, I think that the, the, I don't know. There's one thinker that I think is that some of our students like, um, Jordan Peterson. I don't know if you've heard of him at all, but he's a, an I'm academic well from Canada. Yep. And one thing that's interesting, um, about him, you know, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, he he comes across as someone who wants to engage with you, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who wants to immediately shut you down. Yes, and I think you know whether you agree with him or not. I think that approach needs to happen more. And what I think students lose track of sometimes is, and I'll give you an example of this, but they lose track of the fact that you can have, you know, you and I can totally disagree on something. Let's say, let's say we, um, I think we should get rid of social security, which isn't true, but let's say I (laughs) I think that, and you think we should, you know, fund it. But let's say we both have the same goal. Let's say we have a shared goal of, we want people to be successful in their later years. Yeah. We want, we want, we both want people to not die in poverty a year after they retire from their job. Exactly. Whether social security is the answer to that or universal basic income is the answer to that or universal self-employment funding for small businesses is an answer to that. Whatever the answer to that is, the goal is the same. The goal is the same. Exactly. And and that's I think so. So, you know, the theme here being small moves, what are what is something that you can do as an individual to really make your life better, make other people's lives better is have that assumption in your head when you're having that sort of debate. When you find yourself disagreeing with someone, think to yourself, okay, before before I say anything else, before I really, you know, plow into this person, you know, acknowledge if they have a similar end goal to you, you need to acknowledge that. You need to take a take a space and acknowledge that because, you know, that will change the whole conversation. Sure. Sure. And you and you have to be willing to hear somebody out. And that's the thing. That's the thing that I see as being the biggest weakness is that people don't people aren't listening to other people's perspectives today, especially on campuses like not necessarily. Why? And actually, let me backtrack because that's maybe not even a fair assessment, not even necessarily on campuses, but just campuses just happen to be a microcosm of a generation that came up doing it this way but older generations are the same like i talk like i can't tell you and i'm sure you're the same like i you talk to anybody over the age of 60 right now that are that are in at in any way shape or form politically engaged because there are ones that aren't but for anyone that's politically engaged it's like if you're a democrat you're an asshole or (laughs) or and if you're a republican you're a Nazi who hates women. <laughs> and that's where the conversation ends. I'm like, dude, that's not necessarily true. Like now I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. That very well might be true, like, but you don't know when, when, when you just look at the simple litmus test of what did, did this person vote? Did this verse, did this person vote for president Obama? No, he's racist. wait, might not necessarily be true. Might be true, but yeah. hear him out. Like, did did this person vote for Donald Trump? Yes, he's a racist. Hold on, 
there might be something well, else to it. it and, and I'll be, give, yeah, I'll give you an example of that from a college campus. And, and this is just, I have friends that work at colleges throughout the country. And one of them was telling me a story where uh, there was a, a faculty member who, after Hillary lost, wore complete all black for like the next week. Okay. Or, and there was a colleague of hers who was very conservative who made fun of her for that. Okay. And it's, you know, and it's, and, and at the same time, you can also argue, you could say, you know, focusing on what color you're wearing, um, you know, she, you know, she assumed because he voted for Trump that he was a racist, mm-hmm. you know? So, so each, in other words, what I'm saying is you'll notice that each made that, you know, first of all, he didn't really help the conversation by making fun of her. Of course. But she didn't really help the conversation by assuming he was a racist just because of who he voted for either. Yeah. And so as a result, did they, did they, they never talked, you know, they never, they kind of completely were separated into yeah. separate, you know, and, and so how do you avoid that is the question. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I think, frankly, I think respectful dialogue is the way, is the way that you overcome that problem. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what first brought you and me together, you know, is that, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it didn't take long. Both of us are pretty politically charged, I would yeah. say. So not necessarily in a bad way, but we're both, we're, we're both pretty politically opinionated. So it doesn't take too much coaxing in a social setting for me to start talking politics. It doesn't. I'm sorry. I apologize to my wife ahead of time. <laughs> but, you know, like, it doesn't take too much. It, it's kind of like somebody that's a, that's a, like, that's a big time, you know, advocate for legalization of marijuana or someone that's a big time advocate for hunting or whatever it is. It's like... It doesn't take much to trigger me to sit there <laughs> talking for three hours while everybody else is silent about X. Like it doesn't, you know, everybody has their thing. Politics are one of my things and similar, similar to you. But something that I think both of us noticed about each other when we first met is that, hey, we've got some dramatically differing opinions on, oh, yeah. on different areas of politics. But... Our, the volume of our t- conversation, which the first time I met you, we talked politics. I remember it because it happened so infrequently. Like, <laughs> in me- meeting somebody that you can actually talk about it. I, it's like, I remember it. You and I sat for three and a half hours talking about politics in, in t- and talking about issues that are highly charged. And the volume of our conversation never exceeded what the audience is hearing us say right now. Yeah, because we assume we both had the preliminary assumption that, okay, this person has a different opinion, but he apparently has a brain that's functioning and there has to be some reason behind it. So let's sit and listen and figure it out. And, you know, my 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 political sway has shifted pretty significantly, I'd say, in the last maybe five years. Um Mm -hmm. But not necessarily from one extreme to the next. It was more from an from the from an extreme to a hang on. There's got to be middle ground because my extreme sucked. That guy over there, his extreme sucks too. So yeah. neither of those are working. So maybe there's some sort of a middle ground that might work. And you know, for that, it's like, oh, when you're running down the middle of the road, you get run over by a truck. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> like, and and that's what you hear from from someone that's on the extreme. It's like it it's it's like the argument about it's like if you're a Trump voter, therefore you're racist. Well, no, that's not necessarily true. Maybe it's because 
of this. It's like, well, no, but that's because, well, even though that's the case, yeah, sure, maybe that's true, but they knew that he's a racist and they voted for him for some other reason. That just means that he, they're complicit in his racism. I'm like, maybe they just don't care. Like, I mean, what, one of the one of the examples yeah. that I was giving people a lot, and please understand, you and the people that are listening to this show, I did not vote for this man. He was not my candidate. But at the end of the day, I understood why I understood why a certain demographic of people were voting for this guy. And I I legit I fully believe that they're legitimate reasons. Mm-hmm. When, if you're a former factory worker that's been getting disability either disability or trade adjustment assistance or whatever it is, and you were working in a factory for 35 years and you get laid off when you're 50 because jobs get outsourced and you're working on, you're getting a check from the government for trade adjustment assistance for the last three and a half years because you couldn't work and it's so little pay that you're behind on your mortgage, you've got credit card debt racking up, all you want is a goddamn job You want because, so, because it'll make you feel better yeah. about yourself. You know, Christmas yeah. is Christmas is coming. You've got a six year, you know, you've got a three year old, and you can't even f- afford to buy her a doll for Christmas. You don't care if this guy's a racist. You legitimately don't care, like whether it's true or not. I care that I can buy my daughter a Christmas present. Yeah. The the fact that somebody is a racist or that somebody's followers are a racist or whatever, it's not even a consideration for some people for some people it is but mm-hmm. you've got to understand when some when somebody l- look it's the age old political story a, po- a politician l- legitimately or otherwise says that he's going to do x if he gets into office there's a huge swath of the american population that hook, line, and sinker believes what these people say because it looks like yeah. they've accomplished something similar to that in their past. So maybe if we give yeah. them a higher, a bigger stage, maybe they'll be able to carry it to that level. That has happened in every presidential election going back to goddamn George Washington. So <laughs> there's nothing, you know, that's nothing new. And you got to understand that, you know, were there people that voted for George Washington, Thomas Jefferson? That had a problem with slavery, yes, but the, like this is not this isn't a new thing. It's like, but there yeah. are other there are other things that are more important to people at a time, and that's that doesn't just apply to the rate the racist issue. That applies to every issue. It's like yeah, it's a balancing of, of different priorities and different things that all matter. I mean, and, yeah, and sometimes they do all matter. You know, so like you can have, for example. Um, you know, a close friend of mine pointed out, you know, she said, look, I voted for Jimmy Carter and I voted for Donald Trump. Now, if you take those two people, could you get two people any more different, right? Yeah, exactly. Sure. Um, But she, and she made the point, she said, you know, Jimmy Carter was a great human being, Mm -hmm. but as, as someone to actually govern this country, he wasn't very successful. I mean, that's, that's pretty objectively agreed on. Right. Sure. And so I, you know, she was making the point to me, she said, you know, don't mistake me I voted for Trump not because I like him, yeah. not because I agree with a lot of his policies or whatever, but because in certain key areas where I feel we're failing as a country, I think he will do more for us I in those key areas. Yes. 
Yes. Yeah. Then the alternative, and that's literally, you know, I, I think we often assume way too much, uh, read way too much in someone's vote yeah. than what the vote actually means. Yeah. It's not a wholesale endorsement of every aspect of that person. Yeah. I mean, it it, it almost goes back to the 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 sanctity the sanctity of the of the of the private ballot like the concept of the like the sanctity of the mm-hmm. private ballot it's like because the, there's a reason that that was put in place it's because there's a reason that we have secret ballots it's because people are, like they knew about this a long goddamn time ago <laughs> that people are going to make yeah. assumptions about you and like that when it come when it comes to who people vote for the final tallies it's okay to publish but when it comes yeah. to you John you voted for Hillary Clinton or whoever it was, you know, Jason, you voted for Donald Trump or whoever it was. Like people are going to make assumptions about you and there's going to be a social stigma that comes with that. That's going to last the rest of your life. This was happening 300 goddamn years ago. They knew to make it secret. Then fast forward. Mm -hmm. We're just like seeing a microcosm of that. Now it's like we're because of social, because of social media and because of the way that we interact with each other as a culture is like you, 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 we're now forcing ourselves to effectively open the open the ballot box is like, hey, what did you? Where does John stand on issue right. A? Yeah. Okay, he stands for this side on issue A, so therefore he stands for he stands for that same side on issues B, C, D, F, G. I'm like, hang on, might like maybe not true. But how do we have that? How do we have that conversation? I mean, you and I have that mindset of saying it's like, hey, you know what is possible to be. You know, pro. It is possible to be pro-choice and pro-gun. It is possible to be pro mm-hmm. pro women's rights and anti-affirmative action. Like it is possible to have these varying mm-hmm. things because if you actually think issues out on their own merits, mm-hmm. God forbid you might not necessarily agree with a party's flatline platform. Yeah, I think part of the thing too is. You know, we talked about, so as far as like a small move you can make in the right direction with something like this yeah. would be if it's a big hot button issue for you, if it's an issue where you're emotional about and you're really invested in, yeah. debate that issue with someone you know fairly well the first time you debate it. Mm-hmm. Don't choose the the random guy like you on mentioned Twitter. from high school 10 yeah. years ago yeah. on Twitter. That's not the first time to have that conversation or yeah. that debate, yeah. you know, like because – Often, I think what happens is if people debate it with someone that they actually know very well, um, they automatically will learn from that discussion and really think out their positions and not make assumptions. You know, um, I think a great example from at least in my life is the issue of gun control. Mm-hmm. Um, I was extremely, you know, with all these school shootings, and and, and I still feel fairly strongly about sure. the dangers of of guns. Be- in too many hands. However, at the same time, I've had to really rethink some of my assumptions about gun control because a, a close uh, family friend recently, um, he bought several guns and he, we had a conversation about him going and actually getting training on using those guns. Mm-hmm. And he really opened my eyes to the fact that, you know, there's another side to this Yeah, and there's, there's, there's a side of with legitimate concerns, you know, there's, and so I, I think, Ever since I had that conversation with him, mm. I've changed the way not just I think that I think about the issue, but the way I express myself about mm. the issue. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's the takeaway too: is don't debate these things with people you barely know, or if you do, 
you know, make sure you've, you've debated, debated them with a, a, a close friend, a loved one, someone who knows, you know, about that. Sure. That you, that you know for a fact isn't stringing people up in trees in their backyard because they disagree with you. Because yeah, they happen to disagree with you. It's like, you know, I, like, uh, th- yeah, I mean, I, I, that's a great point in that, you know, if, if you have, if, if gun control, if gun control is your thing or if pro-choice, pro-life is your thing, if you are a hardcore wave three feminist, you know, pro, you know, pro-choice advocate, it's like, don't sit there and have your first conversation about this by tweeting at Milo Yiannopoulos. Like, yeah. that's not like that's not going to get you. It's not going to get you anywhere. You're just bloviating. It's just it, you're you're yeah. you're you're whacking your head against a against a granite countertop trying trying to trying to get through to it. It's not going to work. Like the, they're, you know, you're you're not going to convince somebody else that's equally as polarizing as you are to change their mind to be like you. That's not how debates work. That's not how the changing of minds work. Even if you at, if even if you believe in your perspective, yeah. Look at the statistics in this country about how what percentage of the populace is extreme right or extreme left. Those numbers are a hell of a lot less than it seems when mm-hmm. you when you watch the news or when you monitor your Twitter feed or social media. <laughs> People give way less of a crap about these things than people on the extremes think they do or think they should. So right. it's it's almost as it's almost as if the extremes like to ignore that segment of the population and just like to leapfrog them to fight with the other extreme. It's like, wait a second, if you th- if you thought this out, and this was kind of the root of my perspective on politics and how it's changed, is that if you like getting back, getting back to the example that I was using about somebody voting for Donald Trump because they can't buy their daughter something for yeah. something for Christmas. Yeah. If that person is neutral on the pro like pro gun control or anti gun control or pro life, pro choice, just mm-hmm. because it's not necessarily an issue in their life. If if your goal if your goal is just to bitch, fine. You talk to the other extreme. Nothing's ever going to happen. Nothing's ever going to yeah. change. But yeah. you make you end up feeling good about yourself, or <laughs> or frankly, bad about yourself, and then not being able to sleep because your blood is boiling so bad because you keep monitoring your Twitter feed at three o'clock in the morning, like our president does. But anyway, um, yeah. I mean, that's the, the problem, goal, I guess. Is is the debate? Is your is your? Are you engaging someone because you actually want to? reveal or or you know convince them of something or do you just want to get that that kick of serotonin that i dominated that person yeah Yeah. it's like or uh, like figuratively do you just want to stand out in the public square and scream me 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 (laughs) and just get eyes on you for no apparent positive outcome like the if if your goal is to enact if your goal is to enact the changing of minds, you've got to talk to people that aren't as charged as you are and speak yeah. re- like speak more rationally and debate about it. It's like if I talk like if I have no, if I'm a neutral on gun control, it's like, I don't know. You know, these people say this. These people say this. I don't know what's right. I just want to go to work like yeah. you're I'm the person that you ju- like, John, if you want to convince somebody on the on the merits of gun control, I'm the character that you want to talk to. You don't want to talk to like you don't want to talk to a hardcore Rush Limbaugh listener about the yeah. about the virtues of of stricter gun control laws. 
there's no point in having that conversation outside outside of mental masturbation. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like there's no there's no point to it because you're not going to get anywhere. But if I'm a guy that's just freaking going to work that listens to, you know, music in their car and not, you know, screaming, talk, talking heads, you know, yeah. like, like I do through podcasts and all that. But anyway, um, like it, I'm th- that's that's the person that you want to convince. Cause that's the person that you want to talk to, because when you've got a 70 percent segment of the population that's neutral on darn close to everything, mm-hmm. it doesn't take much of a capture rate in that mm-hmm. percentage of the population for you to overwhelmingly sweep through the political process and enact massive change. It doesn't take much. Like mm-hmm. you sitting here trying to convince somebody that's so far from you on in basic principle that you can't even be in the same room with each, in each, with each other without throwing stuff at each other. Yeah, I mean, you kind of you brought up a third uh, issue. I think that's important with this is is like you know personal bias too, like being aware of your personal bias. And I have a friend who that's who's it. a yeah. Yeah, I have a friend who's a college professor, and he actually he says one of the things he struggles with more than anything else is he could he could have two student papers equally high quality. Mm-hmm. One is a political view he agrees with, and the other is a political view that he disagrees with. And damn if he is not very tempted to give an A to the first student mm-hmm. and a B to that second student. And so he said to me, he said, John, you know, that's something I struggle with every single day. Mm-hmm. And I, I know I have that bias and I need to overcome that. And an A, you know, a good paper is a good paper, no matter what the belief system. And so I think that's one of the, why we're seeing this on college campuses where, um, you know, honestly, it's not just the students. It's not really the students' fault any, either. Yeah. It's, you know, who is teaching them? If, and If I say this, I'm going to fail. So I have to say yeah. this other thing. Yeah. So I mean, there is that that uh, it it really does start from the top and and how they how how you you were raised too. Were you raised to question things and be neutral until you had more information, or were you just raised that this was the gospel truth and that's the way it always has been? So, so yeah, I think professors can can make it. They need to be teaching students more how to think, not what to think. Not what to think. Absolutely. Yeah. The uh, and uh, another great example of that that I that I heard on. One of my one of my favorite podcasts is a show called uh, Hardcore History. I've mentioned that to you before, just socially. Yeah. Um, and the same guy, Dan Carlin, is the is the creator of that podcast. And he, he another one of his shows is a show called Common Sense, where he talks pol- he talks more politics, whereas the Hardcore History show is more geared towards just history. Hmm. He was bringing up a very interesting point about that, where. They were talking. He was talking about Genghis Khan and like sort of the history of Genghis Khan, and he brought up the point that he's had a conver- he had a conversation with a college age kid in the past who used his hardcore history series about Genghis Khan as the basis for his final thesis. Wow! And he's like, that was great. He's like, it was great. It was humbling. It was amazing. But he he ended up he ended up saying that his professor actually failed him on his paper graded it incredibly like far more rigorously than anybody else in the course. And I guess it kind of gets back into the whole knowing your audience thing because the professor who is going to be doing the grading is ethnic Chinese. Maybe not necessarily the best person to talk about the virtues of the international trade system, trade and road system set up by Genghis Khan when he slaughtered a couple hundred million people in this guy's home country. Like, you know, and 
it, it, the guy had his paper, but he had his thesis reviewed by other professors, and other professors thought it was wonderful. They're like, this is this is very well researched. It's very well written. It's very well established. Like everything that you said seems yeah. accurate based on based on the data, you know, and said whatever. But this one professor, like he, it, with with scathing comments of saying, I find it hard for you to ignore. Dot, 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 like all of the atrocities, yeah. all this, all that, all the whatever, and I get that, but that's that that that's a perfect example of an inherent bias. It's like, it's like, wait a second, it's like that they're still connected to a culture that has been dramatically disaffected by this mm-hmm. guy, but, yeah. and you're writing a paper as good of a paper as it is, saying that there was actually some virtue in what this guy did. It's like. I wonder, like, I just, and this is going to be a deviation from the to- from the topic a little bit, but I wonder yeah. how much, how many situations like that are going to happen as time passes. Like, hmm. once once the current generation of the current and maybe the next generation of say Jews die. Hmm. When are we going to start seeing research papers like that about Nazi Germany? When the direct connect mm. to these atrocities mm-hmm. happen, mm. it's like it's like the mag the magnificence of the air force and the like the 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 efficiencies in manufacturing and the whatever whatever like all of these things that were quote unquote in a bubble that were quote unquote impressive yeah. impressive feats by you know this 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 Nazi regime. When is it just going to be another mark in history? Like when? When, yeah. are, when are? When is the default description of an evil person going to stop being Hitler and start being someone else? Like when? When is <laughs> yeah. that? When that? When that switch flips? When are we going to start seeing papers written in schools advocating like all of the amazing feats that were accomplished by this regime? Once once the current crop of people that were directly affected die. How yeah. like is that going to take fifty years? Is that going to take Genghis Khan? Is that going to take seven hundred years? Like when when is that going to happen? It where the I mean the, like uh, I I wonder and because think about it I mean that 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 affects directly affects what we're talking about on campuses right now. It's like if you are of this political persuasion, bang, you're Hitler. Or if you're of this persuasion, bang, you're a Marxist. Like, we don't know who the hell these people really are. We don't have our own. We, we our generation doesn't have our own boogeyman or our own real legitimate evil. Like, not to that level of evil. Like, evil means if you go to, if you look at previous generations the exposure to what was classically defined as evil has shifted dramatically from generation to generation. So, um, you know, the Genghis Khan thing is interesting in in that I just recently read a book called Defending Heaven, Mm -hmm. which is basically the entire, it's just the the story of the Mongol invasion from the Chinese perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I actually probably could have a very, yeah, yeah, I mean, so it's, and it's very interesting. They have a lot of really good arguments for why Genghis Khan is somewhat overly worshipped in certain respects, or overly, you know, but but I, I you know, I, so I can see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that's important to to think about how do we, you know, view things in history as generations die out. And actually, here's the best example I can come up with. Probably, okay. have you seen the show 
Man in the High Castle. No. Okay. It's basically a what if alternate history where where the Allies lose World War II, America is occupied on the western half of America by Japan, and the eastern half of America is occupied by Germany. Okay. Now, my wife loved this show. She thought it was wonderful. I could not even watch it, and here's why. Okay. I personally grew up knowing World War II veterans. Okay. For me, this show is like would be like taking a knife and like carving out <laughs> pieces of my heart because like I don't know for me like just that memory like imagining these people I know and cared about mm-hmm. losing and being killed mm-hmm. is just it's too personal. Yeah. And it's a perfect example of where me as a generation I am too close to the events that that show is depicting to where I am willing to even go there. Um and, and so in a way, what I think what it points out is it's it's kind of scary if you think about it, yeah. because human beings we like to think that oh well we preserve knowledge and, and as a librarian I like to think that well if it's written down we'll remember it sure that's your job yeah but but there's certain things you can't you can't uh, replace actual generational memory on some extent yeah you can't you can't replace personal there's no substitute for personal experience yeah. which is why we earlier we were talking about how if you don't uh, if you're debating someone on in any political topic and there's no uh, context of any personal experience, there's a lot lower percentage chance that that's going to be a productive conversation. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. So I think personal experience makes a huge difference. And I don't, but I don't know the answer to your question though. How do you, how do you overcome that? How do you, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know either, but one of the, I, I think that that in and of itself, I actually think it's a really great suggestion for a small step for people to think about is to recognize that we don't know. It's like we're, we're, we're in a generation where if every hot button issue that comes up, we have to have a strong opinion about, otherwise you're immediately shifted to the other, like you, you are shifted by the people that you're talking to to the opposite extreme and therefore chastised just simply because you might just not know or you might not necessarily have a strong Mm -hmm. opinion and if you don't have an opinion people immediately view you as the enemy it's like well maybe i'm not necessarily the enemy maybe i just don't know what the hell you're talking about and maybe you should take a sec take a second to try and explain it with Mm -hmm. not with a baseball bat but with you know (laughs) words um yeah yeah, I, I mean, mean it, it's sort of like, you know, with, with our current president, some people want to object to every single thing he does. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I understand where that's coming from, because if you just personally dislike someone, the, there's that natural urge. You just you want to disagree with that person all the time. Sure, sure. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's it's fairly exhausting and pretty unproductive yeah. to go through life that way. Exhausting, and, is, a, exhausting is a great example. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what what students lose sight, what people lose sight of, and I think what students need to be taught is that it's okay to be neutral on some topics and not n- feel like they know everything. Yeah. You know, it, that's okay. You know, but yeah. but in our, I think in our society, yeah, you're, you're right. You're supposed to have an opinion about everything. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the maybe small moves we could we could also highlight is if you have a strong opinion about everything, maybe you need to question yourself more. Yeah. Uh, or for example, if you get all of your 
news from Fox News and nowhere else, or all of your news from CNN and nowhere else, yeah. maybe you need to rethink that. That's need, a small yeah. move that anyone can do. Yep. Yeah, like so. to, like perfect example. Like there, there's two podcasts that I listen to religiously. You know, in the, in the political spectrum, you know, what one of one of them is Common Sense by Dan Carlin. That's a very libertarian, sort of liberal libertarian perspective. I also listen to the Ben Shapiro show, who is a guy that is ironically like a five foot five, hundred and forty pound Jewish guy that wears a yarmulke that's get that gets called a Nazi by the other side, which is just funny to me. <laughs> but then I also listened to Ezra, Ezra Klein's show, who is one of the mm. most liberal perspectives on policy that I've ever heard, and his show, The Weeds, which gets into pol mm. policy talk. And he's pretty out there, like, as is Ben Shapiro. He's pretty out there. But mm -hmm. I get their perspectives. I like I learn, I hear the perspectives of people from different sides, not just mm -hmm. necessarily from two sides. I listen to a libertarian or outside, more independent perspectives as well. And then I kind of think about it and, you know, talk to people and, you know, formulate an opinion about an individual issue. Like, that's just how I manage my own politics. Mm -hmm. But sometimes a lot of people that's viewed by is like, oh, you're just dragging your feet because you just like the way things are. Da, 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 da. I'm like, no, I just, you know, I like to use my brain. You know, I like it's like <laughs> the, the thing that separates me from a chimp. Like, I like to use my reason like I try. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, I'll say, I'll say that, but then if I don't go out on f social media and anytime I make a comment about, you know, liking a movie or, mm. you know, the weather, if I don't end a tweet that has nothing to do with social issues whatsoever, if I don't end it with the hashtag me too, then subsequently I fully believe and fully endorse <laughs> sexual harassment in the workplace. I'm like, dude, I was talking about the snow out on the front porch. Like it's okay. You know, it's possible to talk about something without necessarily being an activist on every issue 100% of the day because seriously it's it's the you said exhausting you used the term exhausting earlier it is that it's exhausting you know, the, well and, and not only is it exhausting it it really it, it 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 takes away someone's individuality on one level because you know you just brought up the me too movement which you know has done so many good things yes. but one of the things too that is a little worrisome is for example when the uh, the golden globes i believe they did where everyone had to dress in black yes and i think there were three women who did not dress in black i think one because for personal reasons she there was a sentimental reason she really wanted to wear another dress mm -hmm. and she was just kind of slammed and mm -hmm. just clobbered for doing that and i think there's there's sort of this thing called virtue signaling where yeah. sometimes we get so caught up in and what's supposed to look good, and you have to be in lockstep with me about everything. Yeah. Otherwise, it means you are against everything I believe for. Uh, yeah. I believe in. Yeah. And I think that's that's really dangerous because you know you you sh you should be able to express yourself as an individual. And and I don't know. I, I feel like that's something that we need to work on. Is yeah. can we, you know, and, and and it gets back to virtue signaling. You know, do you? Um, is it more meaningful for sexual harassment in the workplace to go out and talk to people about sexual harassment and really engage them and say, look, this is the way we need to, these are things we can do to improve it. Or is it more engaging for us all to wear black? Yeah. I think yeah. the answer is more be an individual and, you know, have individual discussions rather than uh, what's really a, honestly a shortcut and not a very effective one. Yeah. We can wear black for a whole month. And it but doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, just exactly. Yeah, yeah like the and w one example uh, using the Golden Globes as an example. 
and I know I'm gonna get I'm gonna get people writing in about this. I do apologize, but anyway, I mean that that the Golden Globes is a microcosm of exactly that, and what is wrong with the strategy of you know not just necessarily the Me Too movement, but any move any quote unquote movement similar to that, which is that entire movement was kicked off by one woman, Rose McGowan, stepping up and saying publicly by naming names, this happened to me by this person. This person did this to me. And that was Harvey Weinstein. Like, that's how the whole thing started. Guess what? Rose McGowan was not allowed to come to the Golden Globes. She was not extended an invitation to the Golden Globes. She is the... was the default founder of this movement. This movement would not be happening without her Mm -hmm. risking her her career and risking her life to step out and say, this man, this one over here, the one I'm pointing to, did this to me. It wouldn't be happening unless she stepped out in public and did that. Meanwhile, you look at the Golden Globes and the the actors who are single are inviting like third wave, second wave and third wave feminist activists and racial activists as their date for the day, even though they have no earthly idea who this person was five minutes ago. But they, they're, yeah. again, virtue signaling, saying, see, look who I'm bringing. I want to bring this person in so that they can speak on this issue. Meanwhile, the person who kicked off the entire thing wasn't even allowed in the room. I've got yeah, a I, massive yeah. problem with that. I'm like, why wasn't she invited by... Tom mm-hmm. Hanks or Steven Spielberg or somebody else that brought somebody on their arm that was a social activist. What about the girl who just yeah. literally mortgaged her entire career to say, you yeah. know what? No, somebody has to say something about this. She wasn't even allowed in the room. That is so yeah. disin- that was so disingenuous to me. Like that mm-hmm. was uh, that was that and, was. And yeah. it does happen on the right and the left. You know, I'll, I'll be an equal opportunity. Uh, you know. Accuser, you know, sure, yeah. Accu- accuser on that because you know, like when I see a conservative person say they they shouldn't be kneeling for that national anthem at the at the Super Bowl tonight, but by the way, I'm I'm wearing a United States flag T-shirt slash you know jacket that makes the flag into just an uh, act of apparel. Yeah, you know, it's like and if you don't, talking out if of, you don't, you hate America. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's so yeah, both you know, both sides kind of can do that where they yeah. get focused on the virtue signaling rather than the substance of it. But yeah, yeah, definitely good point. So yeah, no, it is. It's sad, it's sad, man. I mean, the, we're we, we are in a sad state of affairs. Sorry to sorry to wind down the podcast that way, but at but the, I, I to end on a hopeful note though, I do feel like once our brains catch up to the social media landscape and technological landscape we live in, mm-hmm. I think we'll be a little bit better. I mean, I realize technology is, you know, making leaps and bounds, but like social media has reached a new stage and I think it's going to be in that stage for a while. And we just need to, our, our simian brains have to catch up to that. Um, and I think it's possible. So, yeah, I mean, and I think I, and I think the social media companies are starting. It's funny. Like you've heard, I've heard a lot of criticism on the news recently, specifically about social media platforms and their algorithms and how, there, this this is now being discussed, which is a good thing. It's now being discussed that, hey, wait a second, the the basis behind the entire 
internet economic model right now is ad based. So therefore, the only the, we we can use Facebook for free. We can use Google for free. We use Twitter for free. If you're if you're receiving a service and not paying for it, you're not the customer. You're the product. <laughs> so you're the yeah. product. Like we're we're starting. Like people are starting to realize. Wait a second. All fa- and this isn't necessarily a whack at Facebook, in that mm-hmm. they're the cause. In that I'm saying that they're they and Twitter and you know other social media platforms, they're just riding the wave of the way things are. Is they're realizing we make money by keeping people's eyes glued to our website for as long as possible. Every second makes us another dollar. Every second of attention makes us another dollar. So we have to, in order to survive as a business, we have to put stuff in front of these people's eyes that will keep it glued to our website, whether that's good or bad. It's the old, if it bleeds, it leads model for yep. you know news and newspapers. It's the same thing. It's just on steroids. I'm hearing discussions in a lot of podcasts and in a lot of forums today that people are starting to think of ways to rework that model Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. that maybe we're not necessarily being caught up in our own echo chambers and we can actually listen to people that are have differing opinions and figure out is like, hey, wait a second, that extreme is pretty screwed up. Hey, wait a second, that extreme over there is pretty screwed up. Maybe we can figure something out that actually works for everybody. And I'm really hoping that that's what we can kind of take to campuses because that's where these are the next generation. These are like the people, exactly. the people that the people that are marching on campuses today are the people that are going to be running businesses and universities for the next 50 years. They have to be part of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. And they're talented and they're, and they're, they're going to be the wave of the future. So yeah, I yeah. agree. Um, so yeah, so, I, I can't believe it's already been. We've been talking this long. I can't believe you know. Yeah, it's we could go I mean, on. We could go on like this forever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we could. Uh, yeah, and so I, I will. I will spare. I will spare my audience having to listen to my voice for much longer. Uh, <laughs> but the the one one quick question that I've got for you is, uh-huh. it's a question that I ask every guest on the show to sort of close out the show, mm-hmm. and this is something that can apply to any area of your life. It doesn't necessarily have to apply to your profession or personal life or whatever. It can apply to anything. The getting back to the concept of the show being small moves, small incremental things that can make a difference in someone's life over time. What purchase have you made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less that's had a relatively decent impact on your life? Can you think? Wow. Can you think of anything that sort of fits that model? It could be just to give you a couple of examples. Like it could be yeah. an app that helps with tracking the inventory, like an in-house app that you know that you use in the library system that seems to keep track of inventory so that you can help students quicker to find stuff. It could be yeah. an app that helps you with your online billing so that you don't have to think about that. Like you used to be writing mm-hmm. checks if you're, you know, one of those old souls that used to write checks until like a month ago. Um, one example, one example that yeah. somebody made, it could be a great book. One example that I keep going back to 
that's com- that can be gives you an example of how things can be completely unrelated is mm-hmm. back in episode six a buddy of mine named russ comer who's a stock who's a uh, stock trader on the side we were t- we spent an hour and 10 minutes talking about trading stocks and then when i asked him this question he said it was the 25 dollar nature noisemaker that he bought off of amazon that got his six-month-old to sleep through the night for the first time in six months so that he and his wife could actually get a decent night's sleep like huh. It can literally be anything that you can think okay. of that's had an impact, that's been impactful for you or for Bree. By the way, everyone, Bree is John's wife. Um, this is actually going to be not an answer you'll ever expect. From okay, me, but <laughs> it kind of relates to the topic. That's why I want to answer it this way. Please. Uh, recently, I bought a ten dollar. It's a ten dollar subscription service, monthly subscription. It's called Movie Pass, and basically, you you can see as many movies as you want for ten dollars. In one, you know, a month. Is it like an online streaming thing? Or is it? It's uh, no. You can go to. I mean, as far as theater, so you can go to the oh, theater wow. once a day and see a free movie. Oh wow! And that's kind of neat. You might not think this is like okay. Well, that's great, but what, why is that helpful? You know, life changing. And and one thing I've noticed is since getting the movie pass, I will see movies that I wouldn't normally see mm. because. Bree and I like going to the theater. We like the social aspects of it. We like meeting up with friends and going to movies. But what this has encouraged us to do is actually see movies where normally we would never, I mean, literally never see certain movies. I'm not paying $37 to go watch a movie that I don't know that I'm going to like already. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and I'm not. I'm never going to get around to you know streaming it on Netflix or whatever, yeah. uh, because there's just too many good movies out there. Yeah. But this is kind of forced, uh, kind of made us allowed us to be more social, and we we are more like if our friend says, "Hey, I really want to see this movie," and we say, "Well, we're not really that interested in it, but what the heck? It's free. Let's go it's see free. it." You know. So like, I, I think it's encouraged us to be more social with some of our other movie loving friends. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess, I guess for me, the reason I bring that up is I guess the takeaway for that is, um, if you have an interest, um, you know, look at, look at a little, th- it might be a little thing like that, that might help you branch out and engage more with other people. Maybe you don't like movies. Maybe it's something else, you know, maybe, maybe you like cooking or something. I don't, you know, and you, you, you buy a new cooking app, you mm-hmm. know, for me, movie pass is kind of an interesting way. Um, you know, it's just been a way to kind of broaden myself a little bit. That's so awesome. I guess you know, for ten dollars a month, why not? Yeah, no, that works. That's and awesome. they owe me some money now for that free advertisement. <laughs> it's like I'll try to get them. I'll try to get them on the show as a sponsor. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You should. You should call them. Yeah. All right, John. I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Jason. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. I really enjoyed that conversation with John. I hope you enjoyed it as well. He's a really interesting guy. He's got a great perspective on a lot of stuff. Really quick before you go, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Hertzberger. You can find the wonderful spelling of that name on the website, smallmoves.co. And also go over to the community Facebook page and let me know how you think the show is going. And if you have any other ideas for guests or just suggestions for the show, I read every comment that's made on the website. So go ahead and leave a comment over there at smallmoves.co forward slash community. That will take you to the community Facebook page. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the show. And I'll talk to you next time around. You got this.